Okay, so we are sitting here with Lisa Hinshelwood, uh, who teaches social emotional learning at Nueva Elementary School uh, in California. So uh, thank you for being here with us, Lisa. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course. So tell me, what do you teach in, in social emotional learning or, or SEL for short? Yeah. So um, I teach basically five domains of skills or what we also um, call them tools, tools for children to build um, self-awareness about themselves, to build an emotion vocabulary so they can express themselves well with each other, um, to build relationship skills and um, work on things like making wise decisions and responsible decisions and social awareness, um, collaboration, and cooperation skills. So that's kind of the big umbrella of the skills. What that looks like um, more specifically are things like teaching children um, how to be aware of what they're feeling and when they're feeling something, what to do about it. So whether they need to use tools to work out a problem or conflict with a friend, or whether they need to use tools to help themselves manage their own big emotions. Um, so there's a set, what we call the toolbox that we teach at a young age um, for these kinds of skills. How easily do kids learn these skills? I mean, so, so do they have to be, do they have to be genius kids to, to kind of learn how to, how to do this? Because I, I know a lot of adults who, who don't do this, so I'm just curious. Yeah, but that's very common and I, I see a lot of people in our communities that can learn more social emotional learning skills. You don't have to be a genius, that's for sure. Um, but what these skills are lifelong skills. These skills are things that a lot of people really haven't paid attention to in education in the past. They are beginning to pay attention to it um, because they know it's part of educating the whole child and it's as important as a math skill or a reading skill because if you cannot function with yourself and with others, you're not gonna get too far in the world, right? You're gonna sure. probably encounter more problems. So um, the thing is they do need to have the opportunity to have the chance to have them explicitly taught or have the, um, have the space to practice them. So they can learn them very easily. Intellectually, anybody can learn them easily. The hard part is actually accessing them when you need them and using them in your daily life. Those are pretty big umbrellas, the, the five kind of things that you teach them. Mm -hmm. What are some examples of how you teach some of those skills? Yes, so I work with young children. So everything that I teach is done through a variety of methods. So one, it's like teaching the concept and having maybe a brief discussion and idea um, and kids kind of defining the tool and maybe giving examples of the tool. Then I will either do role plays with them where they're acting out things. Um, we have done, I do artwork with them around it. We do writing around it. Lots of team games or partner games. Um, we, cre we create some games as well. Um, building things. There can be games where they learn cooperative skills where they're building together. So I really try to get at every type of learner and do many different modes for them. So it's definitely with young kids, it's hands-on, play-based, um, fun. So they also know that this is a fun thing I'm learning and it's important. You kind of talked about those five umbrellas, but but how do those translate into the rest of their lives? In fact, you're catching me at an interesting time because I just finished writing all the children's evaluations, mm -hmm. and um, they are asked to reflect on their social-emotional learning, and one of the questions I ask them every year is, 
give me an example of how you use this in your daily life at school or at home. And all the answers, you know, there's many answers about, I use an, I use an iMessage with my mother when she's communicating with me, or I use an iMessage with my sister, um, or I've trash canned something. Trash cans a tool like letting things go and forgiving when my sister annoys me. So they, they often talk about family life and siblings, but then I see it. So I see it in our community. So I'll see kids come up to me and go, oh, don't worry, we needed your help, but now we've worked it out. We made an iMessage and everything's great. Or, you know, we just let it go. Or no, I still need your help. I still need your help to talk to this person about this situation and to come up with some solution. The other lovely piece of this is that often I will get parents come tell me, or write me an email like, oh my gosh, you should have seen this note that they wrote to oh. their grandma, or oh my gosh, you should have seen my kids working something out last night. So um, definitely it is in their other parts of their life, and definitely it's also a lifelong process to really use these skills all the time for adults and children. Yeah, and I imagine, I mean, it's also hard for some kids, because it, it, I mean, it's hard for some adults just uh, speaking not from personal experience or anything yeah. <laughs> but but I'm just curious um, what are some of the challenges that you have faced uh, kind of trying to teach these skills to kids yeah um, that's definitely true so I have a wide variety of learners and um, I need to differentiate and accept for where different children are and really try to uh, measuring their progress is very hard. I, I am the teacher that will go in once a week and teach the skills very intentionally and build a curriculum around that. But it's the language we're using and the approach we're using with all teachers at our school. All our teachers are trained very briefly, not, not deeply, but they do have orientation around, this is the toolbox, this is the language we use and kind of watching me and role modeling. We have a, I have a push-in model, so I'm teaching in the classroom with those classroom teachers. So they, it's a really strong model because they hear everything that the kids are saying, they hear the language I'm using, they hear the concepts, and then they can in turn use similar language. How does that translate to say a science classroom? I mean, so in a science classroom, um, what, it, what exactly would it look like specifically if, you know, you were to use SEL skills there? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, it would look, uh, it could look a number of ways. One way it could look is the teacher has awareness about who are um, productive partners together, who, who might be weaker in cooperative skills. So who can I partner this child with? Um, it will translate to, let's say the partners aren't working so well together or something happens and they get angry at each other for touching their project. The teacher's able to go in and say, oh, what's happening here? What kind, of, what kind of needs do we have? What can we do to solve this problem? And the teacher, he or she can be using very similar language and a very similar approach. Um, I think the other really important thing is how it would look in a science class is let's say um, there was something that really bubbled up or that the teacher didn't feel comfortable with, she would then, she or he would then email me and say, gosh, this happened in science class. I wonder if you could follow up with the children or this is how I handled it. Um, can you give me feedback on that? Or what could I do better next time? So we're we in constant communication about the children's skills and then how that might look in a different class. What, what can we do about it? And, and it's interesting because sometimes a child who has 
um, you know, doesn't use their social emotional skills on the playground, uses it really well in other classes. So there, there's a lot of asynchrony and, and that's, the, that's the other challenge, you know. But that's impressive that there's such strong communication and kind of this really united, it's like, it kind of seems like united parenting, right? You just, uh, you all kind of give the same message to the kid. That's impressive. We, we, yeah, we, we try very hard. <laughs> so what exactly is emotional check-in? Yes, yeah, so I have a routine, a ritual with the children um, that, to start every social emotional learning class. And what it is, is it's called check-in. So we get in a circle, where we're all facing each other. So when they're first starting to learn SEL, we do it sort of as an emotional state check-in. Like, okay, what are you feeling today and why? Um, and sometimes we do it in game. What color are you feeling like and why? And uh, what shape are you feeling like? What animal? Like it can be various things. Um, because it's got to get them, so what, what it, the purpose of check-in is we're building a strong, safe, respectful, inclusive community. So we want uh, to create that safety where kids could really say anything and they know that they will be listened to. So we're practicing our really big social-emotional skill of actively listening to each other, a skill that many people are working on for their lives as well. Yeah. Um, and then the second piece is it's going to give them a comfort with expressing themselves. If you walk by most people in your world and you say, how are you feeling? They're going to say, fine. And we're going way deeper than that. So part of that is building um, an emotion vocabulary when they're young of different families of emotions and different strengths of emotions. So instead of just saying, I'm happy, I'm excited, I'm sad, I'm mad, they do all sorts of brainstorming and, and start to really use the different language. That's another challenge because getting them to say other things besides fine, happy, okay, mad, sad is hard with young kids. So that's a constant thing I'm working on. But check-in can also be a time for appreciation or gratitude. I'm talking about kindness. I, I'll ask them things like, what did you do that helped somebody today? So any kind of in the umbrella of skills check-in might um you know capture one of those umbrella skills and why is that range of emotional vocabulary important the ability to really connect with other humans comes from first our ability to really be able to be comfortable with ourselves and to be comfortable in really expressing the true truly what we're thinking or feeling um not glossing it over and 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 the culture i think a lot of you know reading you do about the the culture for males is that it's not okay to express your emotions so especially sometimes with our young males we don't want them to grow up in a culture where they feel like they have to hide things and stuff things down that leads to problems down the line so when people are comfortable really really expressing the bad and the good and the in-between and the i don't know and i need help figuring it out we're going to connect better as a society. We're going to connect better with each other. Um, we're going to build more empathy for each other. Um, and that, I feel like that's really, really important. I mean, that's, that's a beautiful way to put it. I'm curious, do you ever have kids use um, those feelings against them? So if a kid was feeling sad about something that was going on at home, for instance, do you ever have instances where the other kids bully him for that? Um, sometimes people laugh. So sometimes kids will laugh at others expressing a feeling. I've definitely had that. Laughter, though, can be a sign of many things. It could be a sign of discomfort with what somebody said. It could be a sign of uncertainty. It could be just silliness. 
or thinking that it was funny, right? It could, there's many ways. Laughter as a response can mean many things. Sure. Um, if that happens, we'll immediately say like, oh, wait, we're not laughing because somebody, that makes people feel unsafe. Or how did that make you feel when they laughed about it? Um, and, and sometimes the kids who are uncomfortable with check-in will get super, they'll try to say something really funny and off the wall and silly to get attention. Mm-hmm. And we'll also stop that and say, oh, that's not the purpose of check-in. You know, if you can't take it seriously, just wait your turn and maybe report in later. And even for kids that don't want to report in, they, they can pass. Because sometimes somebody is really down or sad or they're having a problem at home. They don't have to tell us. if They, they have that option to always pass and say, I don't feel like talking today. Um, so we try to get, you know, at the range of needs in that. I wouldn't really say anybody uses it against each other. It's, it's okay. more wonder. They're, they're more curious and wondering. Hmm. Well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you for, for sitting with me and talking with me. Um, you uh, are doing an incredible thing and, and I, I'm, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Good luck on your book. 